is Tansley Stearns. Tansley Stearns is your greatest challenger and biggest cheerleader. Inspirational human being who loves people. Future forward leadership. Tansley Stearns is a badass. Tansley Stearns is my mom, my hero, and I love her very much. I am Tansley Stearns, and this is Despite Impossible. I am a longtime credit union executive leading Community Financial as president and CEO. I have always admired and been inspired by people whose passion is boundless and who don't comprehend the word impossible. This show focuses on their stories. Today's guest is Mark Zook, president and CEO at MAPS Credit Union in Salem, Oregon. He's known for being a builder in the industry and says it's important as a leader to be a generalist, not a specialist, so he can ask the whys. He leads by being kind and being curious. This is his story. Who is Mark Zuck? Oh, good question. And I think that uh, ultimately, um, it probably not, uh, probably in descending order here, I think uh, dad first. I, I think um, uh, that is my, that's my most important role. So a father to my children, uh, a, a son to my parents. Uh, my parents are both turning 80 this year. And uh, I think the dynamics of that relationship have changed uh, and become more important to me over time as uh, I realize that uh, there's only a finite amount of time. Um, leader, I think, I think that is my uh, sort of the outside in persona. Uh, so especially at MAPS, but in, in, in other areas of my life. And then friend, uh, my, uh, all of my best friends, all of my friends are from the time when I was eight. So we've maintained these oh long-standing friendships. So that's so unusual. It is. It is. How many would you count? Uh, six or seven of us. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And still, uh, still a very tight-knit group. So love that. Yeah. So finish the sentence for me. The world would be a better place when. Uh, yeah, I, I think that um, generally uh, people need to practice generosity. I think that that is. Uh, that is really key, especially as Americans. Mm-hmm. I think what we see now is a is a time of uh, you know a digital society and a, and a digitized media, and uh, I think we seem to uh, see the world in terms of black and white or heroes and villains. And in reality, um, you know, humanity is uh, is shades of gray, and uh, that we need to sort of understand that. Um, uh, individuals come in many shapes and sizes, and uh, we have to respect them, and we have to give grace, and uh, uh, even if we don't agree. Right? So, so finding that journey to generosity, I think, is really important uh, as as a healing function. When you're at your happiest, most joyful times, you're listening to. Okay. This is a great question. What I what I thought a lot about, and I'm not sure this is a good answer. I'm not even sure I should even say this. It's, it's there's a little bit of embarrassment that goes with this. I uh, so I my whole life uh, my since I was maybe 14 or 15, my hobby is underwater photography. Oh, I and didn't so, know that. Yeah. So I uh, I in high school I spent uh, I saved uh, I worked at a grocery store and saved up my money and my best dive buddy friend and I uh, right after we graduated we took a trip to the Cayman Islands to spend a week just diving. So we get to this really uh, beautiful place in this you know, lovely area of the world and uh, with uh, you know dive adventure galore, right? And we go out, we contract out with this, uh, this very rickety old dive boat. 
uh, and, and dive captain. And uh, there is a radio on that boat. And uh, this was 1985, mind you, but it seems like there was an endless loop of Sade's smooth operator. <laughs> This is so classic. <laughs> so, so I would literally like get in the boat, smooth operator would be playing. We would go to the dive sites. I'd gear up, smooth operator. I'd jump in, smooth operator. Come back out, smooth operator still playing. The whole surface interval, smooth operator, and so on and so on and so on all through the week. And it dawned on me uh, by, by probably day two or three that um, it was starting to embody uh, joy. Yeah. It was it was this beautiful place doing what I loved. And now you don't hear Sade very much anymore. No. But when I do, I get this sense of joy. Uh, it doesn't even matter if it's smooth operator. It could be any Sade song because so they all funny. sound the same. <laughs> but it was, uh, it's fascinating. I love that. Yeah. Love yeah. that. Is there an album you'll listen to from first song to last song? Uh, well, yes. I mean, uh, arguably the greatest musician of all time, Bob Marley. Oh, has to be legend. Okay. Has to be all legend. Right. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. Okay, good. When's the time you left out loud recently? Uh, so, I've told this story like 10 times at the GAC here. Um, last Wednesday, my son had a late start to school. He's 11. Okay. And, uh, He's quite a character, um, and we get. I have to go into work early, so I take him in with me, uh, and I say when we're pulling in, I'm like, hey, I'm going to go get coffee. We have a coffee shop in one of our buildings. So I'm like, I'm going to go over and get coffee. Uh, why don't you come with me? So he walks over with me and uh, walk in, and there's maybe, you know, I would say uh, 10 or 15 millennials there, and some folks I would say were maybe Gen Xers or, or boomers, uh, just to sort of classify the audience. And... Uh, I'm going up to order, and he's reading the menu that's sort of above the uh, the counter behind the barista. And he says loudly, he says, Dad, it says cream and Irish cream. What is the difference? Does one taste like potatoes? <laughs> the barista's dying. Oh my the, God. the older folks are cracking up, and none of the millennials got it. They all just sort of looked at him, and I'm like, and I'm like, oh, is this offensive in any way? Well, that's like so trying to process funny. this. I I was just dying. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. How about the last time you danced so hard your feet were sore? Okay, so no one should ever see me dance. I am really? the worst dancer in the oh. world. It's sort of like golf. Golf and dance. <laughs> I, I, I'm with I, you on golf. <laughs> yes, I could choose to never do that. Um, what I would say, this was a, a great question, and I have to go back to my 20s. Really? I, uh, yeah, I do. Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah, yeah, probably a good thing, actually. <laughs> um, I'm so glad I have never been caught dancing in, a, in an age of phones where they could record me. Um, uh -huh. I, uh, I started at MAPS uh, when I was 25 as the market researcher. Mm -hmm. And in those days, uh, there was a company called MPI, mm -hmm. which was the MCIF for credit yes. unions. And uh, great company. They yep. held a conference every year in Orlando. Uh -huh. And so, uh, as with most market researchers at the time in the creating space, we were all kind of in our 20s. And we would go down there. And once every, every year that we went, we would sneak out to uh, a place in downtown Orlando called The Edge, which people from Orlando would really remember. It was a giant warehouse, Ooh. super unsafe. Okay. And there were just raves. Oh. And so until, until Orlando made raves illegal. Uh, so 
uh, we would go at least, I, I hope nobody from MAPS that I used to work for hears this, uh, but yes, we would spend a lot of time there. That's amazing. So, yeah, it's great. It's great. <laughs> Sook shares his personal ways of healing and finding solitude in a busy world. It doesn't hurt that he lives near a vineyard and a beautiful part of our great country. The vineyard is the place he goes to unwind and refocus. He helps us see how to take advantage of the beauty that naturally exists all around us. When you feel down, you heal by? Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm fortunate to live in Oregon that's a really beautiful place. And uh, I live in wine country and uh, fortunate enough for that. And I live near a vineyard. And so I find that if, uh, you know, if I really want to find solitude and, and really sort of meditate on what's going on, I'll walk through the vineyard. It's just beautiful and calming. So that's where I go. Who's someone you look up to? Uh, so I tend to look at this question a little differently. I, I, I have always admired people who embody hope. Uh, embodiments of hope are those people who um, really you look to and say the world is a better place because they either were here or, or are here. Um, I didn't start my career in credit unions. I, I was originally a professor of American political history. And, and my area of expertise was the framers of the Constitution, who by today's standards maybe get a little bit of a, um, not necessarily a, uh, the, the best people to look back on. But for their time, mm -hmm. uh, they had the courage to say that the world should be based on the freedom of the individual. And that was not common at mm -hmm. that time. So I look at those seven or eight real leaders as, um, as uh, the embodiments of hope. And then I, I love the, uh, the storytellers that like did Tocqueville mm -hmm. is, uh, and, and his writings, and Joseph Campbell and his writings. Uh, at my office at home, I, I have a very large picture of Bobby Kennedy uh, taken a week before he was assassinated. The embodiment of hope for that time, just like uh, Martin Luther King. And then today, uh, uh, for me, I know it's not for everybody, but uh, Barack Obama mm -hmm. is that. Mm -hmm. uh, Oprah Winfrey is that. Uh, those are the people that, that um, sort of have that ability to lift the spirits of others. So. What's a mantra you live by? Uh, my mantra has always uh, sort of been um, be kind and be curious. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I'm known in the credit union space for um, uh, doing things maybe a little different and, and uh, building things. I'm a builder. And I think that curiosity is, has fed that. You know, I've always been good at, uh, at uh, being a generalist and not a specialist so that I could always ask the whys. And uh, so I, I think... Uh, being kind and being curious is, is, is the way I lead and it's the way I have to fall back on. Tell us about your impossible. Uh, <laughs> my, my, current, my current impossible uh, is uh, um, my children, and one in particular. I, I have a daughter who is 13 going on 14. Uh, and so I think as many parents recognize that is a challenging age. And my, my daughter is a very beautiful, intelligent, humorous uh, woman um, who has this uncanny ability to get in more mischief and trouble than I can ever imagine. I, I have now been to the principal's office three times in my life, none of which were for me. 
I am now uh, on a first name basis with that principal, and she and I do a lot of tag teaming. Oh. And so, uh, yes, I know that she's going to outgrow it. Yeah. But I think just like any parent, they, they, they understand that every child has highs and lows. Mm -hmm. And helping them navigate that is, uh, to success is, is really important. Were you mischievous? I was not. <laughs> so I'm just, yes, it's, it's one of those things where I'm like, I don't understand. Uh -huh. How could we do this? Right. But she uh, knows how to bring drama to my life. There, like there's no tomorrow. So. Wow. Good. Okay. It's all, it's all a learning experience. Yes, yes, it is. So, there's yeah. no playbook as a parent. There's no playbook. Mm -hmm. Sook shows how to not think about anything as insurmountable. There's generally always a path forward, and even if that path doesn't lead to success, there is wisdom in failure. What are some of the challenges you face that looked insurmountable? So I, I struggle with the word insurmountable a little yeah. because I, I think uh, uh, I think that there is generally always a path forward. Uh, not always, and, and actually, um, sometimes there's uh, there's wisdom and failure as well. Um, but uh, I this one I, I sort of go back to a work related uh, thing that I was struck by at the time uh, just because I was surprised at the response and uh, back in 2014 I um, cannabis had been legalized in Oregon and I was reading a lot of articles about uh, you know a cash-based uh, business and you know thinking that uh, the reality is that these people are doing legal business at this point um, even though it's not federally legal there seemed to be a path forward with the Quorum Memo, and uh, that I felt we should serve them. And that I thought that was just the right thing to do from mm -hmm. a safety, safety uh, in the community perspective and, and just to support those businesses. Mm -hmm. I took that, uh, and like all financial institutions, the way I sort of had to address it was that I discovered that we had a, uh, a cannabis um, dispensary in our membership. They had snuck in. And so I was, I was actually about to kick them out. Wow. That was my first thinking. And then the day of that, uh, their name was, I, I, if I recall correctly, it was uh, the Brown Bunny. No and way. So, what? Yes. So I was going to kick the Brown Bunny out. It just <laughs> felt bad. Uh, and so I talked to our attorney, and I'm like, I just don't think we can do this. I, I just think, uh, even though personally I believe we should... Um, find a way. I'm not sure we're prepared. The very next day, there was an article in the local paper, uh, Big Bad Marion County going after Little Dispensary Brown Bunny. No. And I'm like, uh, okay, hold on. I don't want tomorrow's paper to be right. Big Bad Maps Credit Union goes after Little Brown yeah. Bunny. Yeah. And so I said, we're going to serve them. And um, I then went to the board and uh, for the first time, I have a very good board yeah. and a very united board, very innovative board. That's amazing. Um, and for the first time, I, I said to them, uh, hey, this is happening, and I think we should move forward. And I had a split board. Some people particularly yeah. angry even about the fact that I was bringing it up. So I walked away from that board meeting uh, with, with sort of a promise to them that I, I, I was going to take the time to vet uh, the strengths and, strengths and weaknesses of, of the strategy 
and that I would uh, come forward with a recommendation. And I, uh, every other executive team member except one came to me after that and said, well, geez, we can't do that. You know, the, uh, the, the reality is our board will never go for this. And uh, uh, do we really want the sort of the pain of this sort of split decision? Yeah. And so I said to each one of them, they all talked to me individually, and I said to each one of them, I've made a commitment to vet this. And so we went through the process with the idea that we would present a plan that would cure all of the skeptics. Yeah. Uh, whether they were clients or the regulators yeah. or our board yeah. or the community uh -huh. uh, or somewhat more importantly, law enforcement, state government. Yeah. Uh, and ultimately, we built that plan. And I think we are still today the largest cannabis banking program in the, in the nation. Yeah. So um, uh, a very interesting process, not one I'd ever experienced in that way. Yeah. So. Was there a point in your journey when you felt like giving up? Um, so uh, my example is actually of giving up. Mm -hmm. I, um, and, and as, a, as I said, I think there's wisdom in, in failure to a certain degree. Um, I mentioned that I, I was, I started as a college professor. I actually thought that was my career. I, I thought I was taking a sort of a detour to work in a credit union for a while. And uh, so I realized I needed a PhD. So I enrolled while I was working for MAPS in, uh, in, Oregon, in a PhD program at Oregon. And I went through that program. I got through everything. The last year I was there, they dropped the program I was in, which was a history of education program. And they um, moved me into a regular education PhD. What? And then they came back and said, and that dissertation we've tentatively approved, you can't do that anymore. What? And you are gonna have to do a different approval process for your dissertation and we are recommending that you do research in K-12 elementary or K-12 uh, elementary or secondary, which I hadn't studied at all. But you could sort of see the direction it was going because they now moved me into a sort of a general education PhD. What? Now, if you know anything about PhDs, you can finish the program, but until your dissertation is approved, you have to continue to take classes to stay enrolled. Mm -hmm. So I'm, you know, driving 150 miles round trip every week uh, to go take one class to stay enrolled until I can convince somebody to uh, either let me do the dissertation I wanted to write on that I thought I already had approved or to figure out something else. And I hadn't really been in uh, K-12. I, I didn't even know what would be acceptable. Yeah. And I, I would say two terms in, I started saying to myself, I, I need to reevaluate my priorities. Yeah. And I need to understand why I'm doing this. And, uh, you know, I, I concluded that um, I did this for me. And that I had completed the part that was important to me. And so I actually went in and I basically said, listen, I don't think we're ever gonna agree. Would you let me write on my dissertation proposal as a thesis and just let me walk away with a master's degree? Oh. And uh, they said yes. <laughs> they wanted me out of there, I think, so badly. They accepted my rough draft and said, oh. you're done. <laughs> okay. So, so, yeah.
Oh my it's goodness. Crazy. Yeah. Well, this might be the answer, but can you tell a story about a time where something went bananas and you can now look on it and laugh? Uh, yeah. Um, so I helped found a nonprofit in, in 2005 called the World Ocean School. And the World Ocean School, we owned a schooner. And uh, we set that up to do experiential le uh, learning for uh, mostly underserved populations, but, uh, but really um, kids. Mm -hmm. And uh, we formed it out of uh, initially out of Camden, Maine, but we moved it to Boston. And the first, uh, our inaugural sale, uh, we took the first three years, we just spent restoring the, the, the roseway, the, the schooner. Uh, and then our first contract was in St. Ignace, Michigan. No way. Yes. Yeah. So we, uh, we sailed it up to St. Lawrence. We got it all the way to St. Ignace. We did that. We sailed it back to Boston. And we were going to do these programs in Boston through the winter that first year. And if you've ever been to Boston in the winter, you know that sailing is not something that would be high on anybody's priority list. And so it's, pretty, uh, it's a pretty tough place. And so we all got, there were only four of us on the board, and we all got together and said, well, the first question was, how much money do we have? And I was the finance guy, and I'm like, uh, we have no money. We have $7,000 on one credit card available. And uh, we sat there that day and tried to figure out what to do because it was going down in flames, uh, metaphorically. Um, one of the captains had said, you know, I did day settling in St. John for one winter and it was fantastic. And uh, so maybe you guys should think about going down to St. John and doing day selling. And uh, so we're debating, should we spend the $7,000 to get this huge boat to St. John to day sell? And we agreed to do it. So off we go. And we get to St. John after like 10 days of sailing and motoring, we get to St. John and we pull into the harbor, and the draft of the boat is 13 feet, and St. John, St. John is only 11 feet deep, the harbor. No! <laughs> so what? we were like, uh, uh, we don't have any money. Now we have a boat in St. John, and we can't even dock. And so- What is happening? Uh, yeah, it was just chaos, absolutely chaos. So we. I'll get on the phone and, and the captain's like, well, we're almost out of fuel and do we have any money? We need gas. And so we decided we could scrape up enough money to get uh, to fill the tanks. The closest island, because St. John didn't have any fuel stations, oh. the closest island was St. Croix. Okay. It was about across the channel. And so we sailed to St. Croix and when we were pulling into Gallows Bay in, in, in uh, Christianstead, uh, a mob of people saw our red sails and came down to see what is this because St. Croix is if you know the Virgin Islands it's the island that isn't the touristy island oh, no I one see. ever goes there oh okay um, it's become really popular but nobody used to go there yeah. sailing in it drew a crowd and we felt so welcomed we stayed oh and now it's our winter port we've been there for what? you know we've been there probably uh, 18 years and it is really a part of that family and uh, now we have two schooners and uh, just doing great things. That's so, so great. Yeah.
Achieving your impossible is one thing, but there aren't any fairy tales with happy endings. We reach milestones, we keep going. What challenges is your impossible still facing? Um, good question. And I don't have an answer to that one. That's okay. I'm sorry. That, no, you're just fine. I must have missed that one. <laughs> you're totally fine. You're totally fine. What's your advice for folks to face their fear of inaction and use that fire in their bellies to bring their impossible to life? Uh, you bet. You know, I, I think my message there is that, um, you know, every journey has multiple paths to success. Mm -hmm. And then, I, you know, you see a lot of people who come in, especially at work, who come in and say, um, I don't know where my career is going. I don't know. I don't know how to move forward. Uh -huh. And uh, I think it's really important that people sort of understand uh, that there are many roads to travel. And uh, I also always sort of loved Joseph Campbell's statement, follow your bliss. I think uh, it sort of, sort of coincides with that message and uh, that, uh, that uh, you find your way. What's your next impossible, my friend? Um, my next impossible is uh, interestingly enough. I, I I don't I don't really ever use sports analogies because I don't watch sports. <laughs> so, uh, uh, but I like basketball. I'm yeah. going to use a basketball analogy, and that is that I am. I believe I I know that I'm in the fourth quarter of my career as a credit union CEO, and. Uh, that I can see that finish line, I can see that end of that game, and uh, I have sort of uh, time to still do good and to build the organization, but also I see that there is a time to hand that baton to leaders who are infinitely stronger than I am. And so I think that that uh, is a very noble accomplishment, but my impossible is a successful transition out of that role. And so uh, I ponder this a lot, and I have to think about um, where that where that journey leads me. Yeah. So. I think what you're raising is really interesting, having just come in and gone through that process. I've been thinking a lot about, I think leadership has an end, right? There's yeah. a moment where you stop seeing things no matter how great you are. Yeah. And those transitions are really important. So yeah. I'll be curious how all that goes. Yeah. I will be too. <laughs> this concludes today's episode. For exclusive content, visit us at despiteimpossible.com and subscribe to this podcast.